Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to episode 67 of Double Hop Beat, where we're taking the pulse of the beer and brewing scene. I'm James, a home brewer and craft beer enthusiast. And I'm Shannon, a beer intermediate. And I also like craft beer. As we are here on our 67th episode, we want to first start off by thanking all of you out there for following us on our Instagram page at Double Hop Beat Podcast. We have certainly been increasing our followers recently, and we really do appreciate you sharing our little podcast with all your friends and family out there, try and get people into the homebrewing spirit and craft beer in general. So we definitely appreciate it, and thank mm-hmm. you for that. Yeah, thank you so much. This week, we are going to be diving into the complexity of dry hopping. The complexity of dry hopping, Shannon? What the hell are you talking about here? Aren't we just putting hops in a thing and just doing that whole thing? I don't know. There's a lot of things in that sentence. (laughs) And for someone who is just starting out homebrewing, that's probably what they would say. But we're going to give you a little more information about it. Um, So if you are looking to get into dry hopping or try it for the first time, you have some knowledge under your belt that will help you. But first, we are going to get an update on the home brewing front. It's not all quiet on the front. It is not. We are taking the pulse of our home brewing here. We've definitely tuned up in 2022. Tuned up? Tuned up. Not turned up. We're not turned up here. We're not not doing that here. We're We're just getting a, a general tune up. We're getting a tune-up here. Okay. You know, we've got the setup now to not have to take everything apart and put it back together and move things into the kitchen. Shen's happy about that. No mm-hmm. more kitchen takeovers unless she's taking it over with her home brewing equipment now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Imperial Stout, the long-anticipated Imperial Stout that was based off Mandy Neglich's gold medal winning Imperial Stout, which we tweaked a little bit just because of the ingredients we were able to find. But we also have done it in a oak-aged barrel that was a whiskey barrel from one of our local distilleries around here. And not only did we bottle it, uh, the neighbors who I was enthusiastically, (laughs) my impression of them wanting to bottle it, and Shannon's saying, well, they're going to listen to us. Well, they listened to it, and uh, they gave me their feedback on how I made them sound. What was the feedback? I never heard the it feedback. It was good feedback because, you know, they were happy to to be part of the experience. Okay. But the feedback was very hilarious. And, you know, it was a great time. It was definitely, from my experience of bottling by myself when I first started homebrewing and how daunting it is, and even when you're not starting out, of how time-consuming it can be if you're just going through, you're filling each bottle, then you're capping it, and then you're putting the priming sugar. Mm-hmm. It's just very time-consuming. But when you have an assembly line of people, it's like Ford, Ford was onto something with this I know, assembly I line. Say, what would we have done without Ford? Like before the days of like, you just have machines like the craft breweries have that just, you know, bottle everything or can everything for you. And it's just people are just put in the critical steps. But it was just wonderful to see, like, the enthusiasm. Did you just explain an assembly line to me? No. <laughs> I think I was just processing it myself, how crazy we've come in since the 1900s. <laughs> I'm just realizing, James like, James is how wowed impressed. by early 20th century technology. Well, you know, I did say Processes. to Shan the other day that, you know, this is now 2020. And she's like, no, this is No, you said, oh, when did I brew that? Was that... The what was it? The stout? You're like, oh, did I brew the stout? I, no, that was November 2019. That was 2019. I was like, this is 2022, so it was <laughs> in 2021. James just erased three years of his life. 
I have a tendency of doing that. He also still thinks he's like 25, so. Yeah, uh, when I had that mountain bike incident uh, where I had to go to the ER in Colorado and they were asking me how old I was and I didn't know, they thought something was seriously wrong with me. And I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I was born on You should say, date. ask my wife. I frequently <laughs> ask her, how old am I? True, true. <laughs> well, that's here, no, no we're there. But anyways, this... Uh, the stout came in at 10.1%, just as we expected, even with the the heavy whiskey uh, that was in this barrel. And to describe, I think I described it on a previous episode of mm-hmm. what the color of that was, of just heating the water up in that to get that barrel ready for that mm-hmm. stout. But this was an amazing chocolate. We got to try a little bit of it at the end, just to make sure as we were bottling it that it was, you know... Up to quality some control. Quality control. Which and I will say I did not. Nobody offered me a taste of it. Well, you know, we don't want to ruin a good thing okay, before we get started. Well. You know, if it's terrible, then you would never let us do a, do a barrel aged. I would let you do it. I just wouldn't drink it again. But. Oh, okay. Well, now I know. Now we have it on record. <laughs> Great. Thanks, guys. Okay. Well, that's all I wanted to do this episode for. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was very dark. It was... A lot thicker than I would have anticipated. It had a great chocolate, but also that whiskey flavor really came through it with a bit of oak. And I just can't wait to see this as a finished product um, after it's carving, naturally carving in in bottles. We use the Northern Brewer Fizz Drops just because in the past I've weighed out table sugar. Mm -hmm. You can either, if you're starting out, you can either do it in your big you know, bottling bucket and just do a whole batch or I've done it before where you literally take your table sugar and do it into each individual bottle, which is so time consuming. Where Northern Brewer came up with these fizz drops that you just plop one in for a regular 12 ounce bottle or in our case, we did two for a 22 ounce bomber bottles. And again, in retrospect, I wouldn't have picked the 22 ounce bottles for this high ABV awesome stout that we were doing, but I was going for a time is money versus... Would you want to finish a whole 22-ounce Imperial 10% beer? But now that we know we have friends, you know, that's... (laughs) Yes, and I will, before you move on to the next one, James, I will give them props. They made it through the blizzard of 2022 to get to our house to help you with this. They did. That's crazy. Yeah, New England here. They braved the weather. They braved the weather. They walked... Walked down, down street, our unplowed street. Walked backwards, actually, to get to our house. Some of the them wind did, was yeah. crazy. Yeah. But yeah, and that one, that was great. We're anticipating that. The pale ale, the second pale ale that I did came out, and that actually seemed to be more of a crowd pleaser than the hot bomb, heavy, you know, hazy pale ale that I had done before. Mm. This one seems to be more of a the uh, winner here, and and they they love the darker color, and they're like, what? how did you get this dark color? It's a pale ale. And I said, well, I put, you know, 60L caramel crystal malt in there mm-hmm. a little bit to give it that darker color. They're like, it gives the, it just shows what color can do as well as an illusion, mm-hmm. especially during the winter of a more maltier beer, the darker color. They It gives a more, that perception. But it is a maltier pale ale than my other one because I didn't dry hop. I didn't, I didn't use, I used Pearl Hop. I used mm-hmm. um, Centennial, and it was more of just a nice maltier base than uh, the other one. But that turned out good. And then I just kegged the Belgian White or the Belgian Whip Beer, which is not the first version of that beer, um, as you know from last episode, episode 66. Yeah, and it, I think I'm like still like, meh. James's words were, 
Well, maybe it will taste good when it's carbonated. <laughs> True. And I said, I thought it tasted good. I thought it, I thought it had the, the traditional, like you could taste the coriander. It had that. Yeah. What you would think style. of when you think of whipped beer. Yeah. Is. And again, I don't like. tend to gravitate towards that style of beer. So again, I also have to take that in consideration. And I do. Fatigue. So yeah. I, I enjoy that style of beer. So I, I appreciate it. And I think I'm going to like it once it is carved up. Yeah. I mean, I liked it when it wasn't carved, but. I think it's going to taste even better when it is carved. Carve it up. up. (laughs) (laughs) And and on the thing of, you know, new things and homebrewing, there's been an explosion recently of, you know, every year people are constantly asking on all the homebrewing forums, what's coming out new? I'm on the fence of buying this or that. What's coming out? And the great thing on new things coming out from different products such as Spike or SS Brewtech. The great thing about that is not only if you want the latest and greatest, you can go for that, or usually they run a sale on their previous model, like a car or anything else, that you can get really good deals when it's not Black Friday or not Christmas time. And you can get a good deal if you're on the fence about buying something and you just got to look, all right, what's new? What's changed from you know this version to that version, for example? SS Brewtech now has Conical 2.0, which has, which I like, it's got the coils going through the top port Mm -hmm. versus the side. So, which I, wasn't I just talking about that? Yeah. Yeah. You're like, why would you have like the coils come in from the side? Then you have to unscrew in all this things every time you use it versus just like on our uni tank, SS Brewtech, we just pull it up and it's there. And again, Mm -hmm. like for someone going from the transition of a beginner homebrewer to you really like homebrewing and you really want to get more into it, the next step from a brew bucket would be Chronicle. But yeah, I mean, like it has some pretty cool advancements, which I think they might roll out into the like accessories piecemeal that you could buy too. Like their new sample port has like a nice like silicone like part into it that easy to clean, swap out if it gets too gross for you. Their new uh, TC clamp connections have it so that you can just pop that in and pop it out the jacket is comes with it so you don't have to get the extra thing is it designer it. is it designer <laughs> yeah what are you wearing i'm wearing the, I'm uh, wearing the, the SS jacket, jacket. <laughs> yeah it's insulated yeah and what's great about this is if you're not looking to like pressurize or ferment under pressure like the uni tanks are really designed for. This is a great next step other than going from your plastic buckets mm-hmm. or just the brew bucket in general to just not, you know, have to worry about, but have that temp control because temp control is key when you're fermenting. That's the biggest thing I can recommend if you're doing anything temp control in your fermentation. But that just came out, which is great. I mean, and everything else is discounted now. So they discounted... <laughs> The, I think the seven gallon by 50 bucks and they discounted the other one, the 14 gallon by like a hundred bucks. So that's substantial for a yeah. non, you know, holiday sale and mm-hmm. they never do sales. So they're probably just trying to clear out that inventory. Exactly. But again, if you, if the price is something that concerns you, that's something to do. Other news, SS Brutech also released their new temp controller, which they are calling... Their FTSS Touch temp control. So if you're one of those people that love the touch screens with, you know, the nice simplicity of tracking fermentation and having the option to cold crash 
just all on the screen versus the manual where you have to set it's digital it's still digital their old one was digital but there's a couple perks with their new their new FTS touch again it's pricey it's like almost $300 so again something you just have to research on your own and see if it's worth it for you on maybe mm-hmm. i'd say maybe on your uni tanks or if you're really trying to get those precisions down but i'm still content right now with the FTS that i have cuz mm-hmm. for me it I'm not fermenting under pressure at the moment, so it's not too concerning for me to upgrade, but we'll see how that goes. So you mean I won't have to look at you and just go, no, no, James, no. Well, you know, as a home brewer, you always have to upgrade, you know, you know how that works. Get down from there. Sorry, that's the dog. (laughs) That's 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 what I say, the dog. And for those who are Spike Loyal fans, uh, they are coming out with not yet but they are coming out with their own spunding valve for mm. um, pressurized fermentation. And it looks really cool. I, I really do like the design that they have. Spike really puts a lot of attention into customer feedback and customer service. And I know that was something that they were like, well, SS Brutech has this spunding valve. Mm-hmm. Um, we really like it. Are you going to come out with something? Are you going to come out with something? And then um, hopefully in the spring, that'll be out. So if you're waiting on that, just t- take a look at the designs of all your options across all websites, all homebrewing sites, and just see what works for you and your budget. Okay. So that's a lot of homebrewing news as far as like upgrades to mm-hmm. equipment that I haven't seen if it's not like a Black Friday or like yeah. a big announcement for a while for multiple companies to come out with new products. Um, especially with distribution being so tough right now, like I'm in yeah. getting materials and stainless is is still tough to get. So I, I think it's great that they're in a, still innovating and that's great to see. And, you know, it's a lot from customer feedback. So keep giving feedback. Well, thank you, James, for all those updates. You're Always welcome. A pleasure. I'll send you the bill. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I said no. I'll probably, Shan said no. But I said no. I said yes. No. We'll see. No. <laughs> So today we're going to talk about dry hopping and just for all of the people out there who may have just started homebrewing or trying to get into it, just want to give a little bit of a definition, what potentially could go wrong with dry hopping, why people dry hop. And then we reached out to some of our um, fellow homebrewers and got their opinions, takes, setups, all the good stuff all the deets yeah on all dry the deets hop. so some of this information just for the background came from allagash.com scottjanish.com and beersmith.com so i went and did a little a little research a little a little research a little research so what is dry hopping james well in case you didn't know it is adding hops late in the brewing process so either during fermentation or the conditioning process and there's also wet hopping so there's dry hopping and wet hopping and wet hopping is where you put freshly picked hops right into the brew. So not the pellets, but the whole cone right into it. Yes. And and you added wet hops because that was one of your the questions you first asked me was like, yeah, I was like, why, why, why I don't get why it's hopping. Why isn't it called wet hopping? You're putting it in a wet solution. Well, no, and I also was like, why I don't get why it's they're not wet. <laughs> <laughs> why but then you think wet? about it, they're fresh. So they still have moisture in them. Yeah. Therefore, they're wet. Whereas the pellets are all like dried out, looks like little rabbit food. So, but today we're going to focus on dry hopping. So why should people dry hop? That's a good question. Why, why add another step into the brewing process? And what styles are really appropriate to dry hop? I mean, you won't see a dry hopped. Well, now you actually, 
Actually, I have to stand corrected yeah, well, on that so- statement because I was just going to say, well, you don't see dry hop stouts, but now I've seen multiple products out there where they do dry hop a stout. Okay. Well, people dry hop or wet hops. So they Both techniques are used to contribute to the hoppy aromas and flavors in a lot of beers. And so they're also added during the brewing process for bitterness. So what, I mean, I know, you know the answer to this, James, but if you think about what kind of beers would benefit from this, what do you think? Those nice New England IPAs, baby. Yeah. IPAs, what other styles you got pale for us, ales are really the go-to mm-hmm. dry hop beers that I think of. And again, it's all based on quantity as well. IPAs and New England IPAs are heavily dry hopped. And really in a dry hop, what you're trying to do is get the most out of certain hops, certain varieties, the aromas that you'll get when you, the nose of the beer, Mm -hmm. if you will, when you first smell that beer, you pour that beer, that amazing either citrusy floral or piney whatever you know every single hop has different characteristics mm-hmm. as we know on double hoppy podcast you know we're a little bit different here you know we just got our own characteristics and signatures see it's just well, what smell would i have shannon i don't know what aroma would james have i don't know um Beer. I was gonna say, <laughs> was that what you? Were? She was just mouthing like beer. I mean, yeah. Shannon would make a great dry hop because she's very floral. Oh, thanks. She's got a nice floral, and that's probably I the wear perfume deodorant. you wear. Deodorant, whatever. <laughs> that's the one great thing I love about hops is, you know, some have pineapple or grapefruit. You know, each hop has a different flavor profile. And it also has different aromas that you can get out of it. And then some are mainly used in the bitterness, which Shannon talked about when you use hops for bitterness. Most of that bitterness is when you're boiling in the boil process on the hot side of brewing, as they call it, versus on the cold side of brewing, which is more your fermentation, where it's anywhere from, you know, your high 60s to low to mid 70s, depending on, again, on the style. Lagers are usually colder temperatures Mm -hmm. but again with the hops you really want that aroma to really shine in a new england ipa or those citrusy ipas that or hazy ipas that you see in those tap rooms and it's really what will get people to come back to that beer and then the flavor on top of that really complements the aroma and everything just fits together with the yeast, whatever yeast strain you use to really bring out those flavors, whether you want pineapple, grapefruit, mm-hmm. citrus, or um, pomegranate, or uh, stone fruit, or whatever kind of profile you're going for, whatever style. And again, West Coast, you'd want more of a piney, a little bit of citrus in that aroma. Mm-hmm. And again, th- there's charts all over the place. I'm not going to list the hops of please do what what do I could, but I'm we not could, and to. it would turn into one of those podcasts that people listen to to fall asleep. You know, like those like sleep podcasts. <laughs> the sleep podcast. It's they, just James they sleep and sleep a mo- podcast. Yeah. Oh, James. Oh my God. We have to educate you. You don't need a podcast. A podcastation. A pod. A pod. A podication. A podication. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> but. I have a question, James, because I always get confused and I hear this term a lot and it it is relevant to what we're talking about. When someone says this has been double dry hopped, does that mean there are two types of hops that they used when they were dry hopping or it was dry hopped twice, like two different times? 
it depends because most of the time when I think of um, double dry hopped, I think it's the amount of times that it's dry hopped. So, mm-hmm. for example, in that cosmic pale ale that I did that I wanted really dry hopped, I did it at day two or day three, and then I did it again at day 14. And I did two different combos of hops as well. Um, but it was more the frequency of how often it was. But again, it's all based on this diff- people. It's argued either way of it. Okay, so it could be both. It could be both. To my knowledge, it could be both. But I'm sure there's probably a standard, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Okay. I've always wondered that. And I feel like the internet doesn't help me. Well, because again, people debate it all the time. Yeah, because I mean, I guess you could dry hop once, but with two, you could dry hop twice, but with two different, never mind, this is making it more confusing. But I think most of the time I've seen it where it's two different hop varieties. Okay. And the frequency is it's not just dry hopped, it's dry hopped twice. So, okay. again, but they list, the, the way they list hops also, it's, they include the hops that's used in the bitterness, They but mm-hmm. usually it'll say like dry hopped with, you know, Amarillo and, you know, Idaho 7 or... Okay. Well, if you are looking to dry hop and you haven't done it before, there's something you need to keep in mind. And that is the introduction of oxygen into your beer when you are dry hopping. Because this is taking place after you have finished the brewing process. So you transferred into the fermenter and it is sealed off to oxygen while it's fermenting. So when you're going to dry hop, you got to get in there to add it. It's going to introduce oxygen at some point. So, And this is also during, after the yeast has done correct. its active fermentation. Well, depending yes on when. Yes and no. Yeah, so, James, oh, yes and am no. Am I getting ahead? Oh. Yes and no. So, so if you get too much oxygen in your beer during that process or after active fermentation, then your beer could oxidize and that's going to affect basically everything. So the taste, the coloring, the aroma, it's just kind of, going to ruin your whole beer. So you, you don't want that to happen. Um, it's, so there's a potential for it to be overexposed when you're doing this process. Um, it can also produce off flavors. So you really just want to make sure when you are dry hopping, this doesn't happen because the oxygen interacts with the polyphenols. Yeah. Polyphenols. And tannins to create a haze. So if you're not looking to get a haze in your beer, you really want to monitor this and, um, make sure you're not getting too much oxygen in there and especially with home brewing you typically and if you're starting out and don't have a a big system a smaller batch of beer means that even the smallest amount of oxygen can cause havoc because there's a lot less volume of beer in there so like it doesn't you know if you've got a huge volume of beer and a tiny bit of oxygen gets in it's not that big of a deal because it kind of offsets but if you've got a five gallon batch and oxygen gets in there it could really you know, have a big impact because there's not that much beer. And I'm going to play devil's advocate here and say, you know what? It matters, but it doesn't matter nearly as much as people make it out to be on a small homebrewing scale where you can just put in a mesh bag your dry hops or just add them into your fermenter if you're not pressure fermenting. And the chances of that amount of oxygen that's going to get in to your fermenter is not going to make a major deal as I mean, unless you're leaving it open and just walking away. Then it's open fermentation. But it's just something to, it's something to keep in mind. It's something to definitely to keep in mind. And I know right now a lot of home brewers that have messaged me are 
just starting out and they're all concerned about this and do I need to get this crazy setup that I've seen of dry yeah. hopping, which we're going to talk about now of, you know, Shannon mentioned the introduction of oxygen to your fermenter and the setups now that you'll see a lot of homebrewers have of these sight glasses with a pressure release valve and they're purging it with CO2 and then they're adding their hops that then they're equalizing it to their tank pressure and then they're dropping them in. They're sexy. All right, I'll give it that. Okay. Dry hopping can be sexy. But is it necessary? That's the question. Well, you don't always have to do it that way either. There's a, other ways you can kind of try to make sure those oxygen, that oxygen doesn't have an effect on what you're doing. So if you don't have a crazy setup, some of the ways that you can reduce this potential is by dry hopping early in fermentation. So like in the first three to five days when the yeast is still active, it's still doing its thing. That way, if any oxygen gets in there, it can be metabolized by the yeast and then you don't have to worry about it. Love so that idea. I think that's the, for me, that was the easiest way that I, like if I was looking to dry hop and I was just starting out, I would definitely just stick to that method. Um, again, don't leave your, don't leave the fermenter open for hours on end while you're doing it. Just still have a quick little pop in there, but I think that's the easiest way. Um, and if you are another way that you can do it, if you don't have a crazy setup and if you're looking to dry hop after active fermentation, um, some homebrewers do this as well as, um, uh, big commercial breweries as well, or bigger craft beer breweries do this, is you can also add a small amount of sugar with the hops. And we'll try to restart that fermentation, kind of do a quick restart to break down the oxygen and then the yeast will go, go back to sleep. So those are a couple of ways. If you don't have a crazy setup, if you're just doing, you know, maybe, I don't, I mean, I guess if you're brewing on the stove and <laughs> I guess if you're just old school and you want to dry hop after, but um, yeah, even I mean, even if you have crazy setups, like it's still up to up to you whether you do it or not. I still haven't gone on to that train mm -hmm. yet of using using that. I haven't found it the amount of oxygen to get in to actually impact the quality of the aroma or anything with the beer. So for me, just quickly, you know, making sure if you're going to use a mesh bag, you boil it ahead of time or you sanitize it because mm -hmm. you have to remember that anything at this point you have to keep it as sanitary as possible because that's going to impact, if anything, contamination of your yeah. beer. So that's more important to me than than the oxygen at that point because I know I can do it so quick and it's not under mm -hmm. pressure. But I definitely would say if you're doing pressure fermentation, I would definitely seek, maybe think about looking at that option with the pressure release valve and equalizing the pressure versus, you know, if you do open up that fermenter lid and you're not mm -hmm. doing it that way, then you're going to get all that foam and beer over and then it's just going to be a mess. So definitely look into that. If you're at that stage where you're pressure fermenting, mm -hmm. where I think you probably have these crazy setups. Yeah. Um, we have talked to a couple home brewers that have both done it with and without these setups where you have a pressure release valve, you have either a sight glass or stainless tubing connecting to the top of your fermenter with a, um, a clamp that basically in a valve that basically you'd close the valve, open it, purge it of CO2, then open it to your tank, and then it sucked the hops down into your tank. And some of these homebrewers have won. Actually, I think all of these homebrewers have won medals. Well, Jason from Steel City Brewing, who's won a gold medal, on he's guru of IPAs, as we've talked about him many times on the show, for a reason. I mean, he's mm -hmm. amazing. Uh, definitely check him out at Steel City Brewing. 
And he got back to us and he said he has, he's done it both ways and he hasn't noticed a big difference at all on aroma or flavor wise doing the purge method versus plopping them into the fermenter. And for about a year and a half, he's been brewing at this high level for about three years now. And what he does is he connects the CO2 line after the top port and he lets the CO2 blast into the tank for a little bit. And then he lets it, you know, he prevents the O2 from going into it. And then he gets the, the hops in it. And he says the more he's read up on oxygen destroying New England IPAs, which is the style he really mm-hmm. focuses on, the more he was driven to have one of those setups just be, as quality control, just yep. to prevent, like you said, because you just risk. never know. Yeah. You know. What, why would you spend all your time to risk mm-hmm. oxidation when you have a means of for less than two hundred dollars of yep, exactly you know engineering it out or best to your ability? So again, minimizing oxygen exposure, he thinks definitely is something to consider, if, especially for the New England mm-hmm. IPA style. And being from New England, I love that answer because <laughs> I'm like. You preserve those New England IPAs, okay? You mm-hmm. preserve them mm-hmm. and you make them great. Mm-hmm. Okay. And to me, it's more about purging than the dry hop itself. And he expects a better product when he uses it versus just plopping the hops in. And that's his take. Uh, Pratt Brewing, um, they don't do a lot of style, you know, styles where they've had to dry hop heavily. Mm-hmm. So they haven't really gone to that crazy setup until recently when they were trying to get into those more New England or hoppy styles. And again, there's this very sight glass on the top with the pressure valve and they haven't noticed a difference. But again, they said oxidation. Again, what chance that oxidation mm-hmm. seems to be on everybody's mind. So they did it. They jumped on the train. Yep. Yeah. And then we also heard from Robbie from Chainsaw Brewing and he also uses a sight glass CO2 purge prevent any of that oxygen from being introduced to the fermenter. He said he hasn't had a huge difference in the aroma itself, but like the, what the aroma is. But he said that it makes, when he does this, it 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 like locks it in. So it's like staying power is more, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. So just a couple of feedback from some fellow home brewers. If you have any feedback you want to send in, feel free to message us at Double Hop Beat Podcast. Um, also, if you have anything you want to add about the dry hopping process or setup, um, just shoot us a message, anything to add, and we'll read it on air. Yeah, there's a lot of YouTube videos out there, too, from a lot of reviews of these products mm-hmm. that they're selling on Brewers Hardware or... Um, I think, uh, there's a couple different sites, uh, brew tools, a bunch of different yeah. sites that are selling these, you know, as dry hopping apparatuses or accessories. Yeah. Like capitalizing on the new, which is popularity. Good you don't have to think about it. Like they've engineered it to a point where you mm-hmm. can just get something like that. But again, I haven't seen it for less than $150. So again, it's another added thing that again, you could build it out yourself too. Yeah. And it could, maybe it's like a good... I don't necessarily need this right now, but maybe like on my birthday list or Christmas, yeah, if someone definitely. wants looking for a gift, you can throw it on there. And it's one of the things that's like you'd like to have, but you don't really want to spend money on it. And I was really <laughs> like being science focused. I was really looking at having some studies to back up one way or the other of, you know, doing these apparatuses versus not and not having that apparatus that not mm-hmm. doing it myself. I can't really speak to that element. So I'm glad that we got some home brewers that have used both techniques 
and kind of gave their feedback. And as well, Yakima yeah. Valley, um, we reached out to them and hopefully we'll hear back from their brewer on if they've done any studies or what their opinion on it is yep. as well. So maybe in the next episode, we'll touch on that if they yeah. get back to us. Sounds good. Well, I hope that this information did help people who are either just getting into dry hopping or have some of those bigger setups and they're looking to kind of up the ante and figure out how they can be more effective with their dry hopping. So I hope that this helped. And James, I obviously have a little history fun fact for you. Oh no. You thought you were going to escape, but you can't. Oh no. It's it's not that bad. It's quick. So I just was curious. That's what as she to, said. <laughs> 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 uh, when did dry hopping start? You know, like who was like, oh, we have to do this. I'm sure it was for like, like a preservative. I mean, that's why hops were included in things. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say 1830. (laughs) Oh, you were actually pretty close. So it was the mid 1800s. They don't have an exact year of when it started, but the mid 1800s is when the most common technique at the time was when you put the beer into the cask. You would throw in a large handful of dried hops and as the beer conditioned in the cask over days or weeks, the fresh hop aroma would kind of just seep into the beer. Yeah. I love that. So, and I didn't know that. Yeah. There you go. A little fun fact. You can throw out at parties in your Uber, you know, just wherever you want to throw out a fun fact for everyone. I I, I was surprised. I'm pretty, I was pretty good on, I was pretty close. Yeah, you were pretty close. That was pretty good. But I mean, think about it. I mean, beer goes back so far. I mean, but I just think everything is 1800s or 1900s, you know. You thought last year was the 1800s. So. Yeah, <laughs> felt like it. <laughs> okay, well, thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode of Double Happy. We are always looking for homebrewers to share their stories. So feel free to send us a direct message on Instagram at Double Hot Beat Podcast. And be sure to follow us and tag your friends on your favorite posts and episodes. It really helps us get new listeners and bring more homebrewers into our great community. Yeah. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. That really helps us get new listeners and get our name out there on those lists. And we want to thank you again. This has been been Double Double Hoppy. Catch Catch you on on the the brew brew side. side.